Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for joining us here on King Jordan Radio. This is King Jordan you're listening to for Tuesday, June 24th, 2014. I want to thank everybody that joined us yesterday on the Michael Jackson Tribute Show 
with the uh, Tom Mesereaux, Chris Tucker's, the Nurse Lees, and Geraldine Hughes and Kerry Anderson. However, now let's switch gears to wrestling. Let's bring in my pal from Chicago. He is your wrestling insider. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Double J, JJ. Good evening, JJ, and welcome to King Jordan Radio. How are you? Hey, King, great to be on. I just wanted to say really quick, uh, the WWE started a charity in the name of uh, that little boy that passed away earlier this year, Connor, uh, who most wrestling fans or WWE fans might remember as Connor the Crusher. Uh, the WWE started a charity called Yes, they started a charity called Connor's Cure, in which you know whatever money that they hope to uh, you know raise and get from from people who uh, are able to donate, all the money will help go towards uh, other children who have that same issue with the you know with the brain and spinal cord, and uh, will go to the Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh. So that's a pretty cool thing that the WWE is doing in honor of uh, that little eight-year-old boy Connor who passed away. That's a wonderful story. Okay, I see we have some lines open. Let's find out if it's Blackie or Mr. Valente. Let's go over to line two. Line two, your line is open. Who we got? Yo, King, what's up, bro? Dominic. Mr. Valente, how are you? Good. How you doing? You missed last week. You apps and everything okay? Yeah, everything's good. JJ, how you doing, bro? What's up, Black? Uh, I was gonna say Blackjack. <laughs> What's up, Dominic? You catch a slam anniversary? Uh, no. Oh, okay. There were tr- All right. there were problems. But- there were problems with Time Warner in the in, in the New York area. Nobody got it. Oh wow! And I got charged. I, I know I'm gonna get charged on the bill twice because they told me to switch Trust channels. Me what? Trust me, it beats Cablevision. Whatever it is. Yep. They told me to switch channels and hit the buy button. So I did it twice. Both of them lit up in green, and I got no feed at all. I got nothing. Oh, my God. Yep. So I'm I'm done buying pay-per-views from anybody. I got somebody that could tape it for me, and I send him the tape, and he hooks it on. That's it. I get the results off the, the website. VCR? What? With the old school VCR, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what TNA, WWE what? don't even interest me. <laughs> well, uh, the way the way things are going now, I don't think it's interesting a lot of people. Let's go no, over line so. four and see if it's, uh, Blackie is on. And Blackie, Black- are you there, Mr. Blackjack? Are you there? Talk now or forever hold your uh, thoughts. Blackie, going once. Okay. As you know, TNA will be featured Wednesday TV tapings. Uh, JJ, do you know the schedule? Dominic, do you know the schedule, how it's going to be, which one's television taping uh, in terms of the TNA? Yeah, well, I got, uh, go ahead, JJ. 
Well, from what I know, I just uh, found out today that, of course, we know that the Hardy Boys will be reuniting. Uh, they even uh, build that the Wednesday show. We will see Jeff Hardy versus Bobby Lashley for the TNA Championship, and Matt Hardy will be in his corner. And then Thursday will be when the Hardy Boys reunite as a tag team, something that you haven't seen on television in over three years. So I'm not sure if Thursday will be that uh, taping. I think it will be a part of Destination X, where they air sort of the pay-per-view on Spike TV. And then, of course, they have the Friday show. I want to get you guys' take on Bobby Lashley becoming the world heavyweight champion. JJ, I'll start with you, and then I'll go to Dominic. Well, when I was giving predictions for Slammiversary at the time, I wasn't sure if MVP would be cleared or not, and I thought that MVP would win the title. Of course, when MVP couldn't make the victory, I thought, well, you know, maybe uh, whoever would win would maybe be Bobby Lashley. And I said before that I thought that uh, Lashley would defeat uh, Samoa Joe. I know Blackjack, I don't think he agreed with me. And uh, I just thought that, you know, Bobby Lashley, here's a guy who's got that MMA credentials, and whether a lot of people like him or not, that makes him legit. So you would have a guy who's got that legitimate, you know, background go over, even on Samoa Joe, despite the fact he made his return to TNA. He was off for a little bit. You didn't see him on TV. But I figured Lashley would win that match, and I was predicting he would win Slammiversary. But he didn't. Instead, we saw uh, Eric Young retained the TNA championship. He sort of had that sort of Daniel Bryan moment that he was in this triple threat. You know, he had his back against the wall. It's kind of a last-minute thing. And here you got Bobby Lashley, you got Austin Aries. He had no time to prepare for either challenger, and yet he still retained the TNA championship. So I was very happy for Showtime Eric Young retaining the title at, you know, the 12th anniversary pay-per-view, Slammiversary. And then you, you tune into Impact that week, and then they have a rematch. You have sort of uh, MVP put his boy Lashley in a one-on-one match with uh, Eric Young. And Lashley, not really to my surprise, beat Eric Young and now is the current TNA world champion. And this was something I thought would happen with MVP. But like I said, due to you know MVP's injuries, he couldn't compete. So instead of MVP hold, holding the title, it's now his sort of golden boy, Bobby Lashley, who's holding the championship for him. So uh, I wasn't too surprised. I feel bad for Eric Young. He had a really nice uh, run. He kind of put the silliness behind him. He was a more serious champion, and I like that. We saw a different side of him. He was doing some great uh, promos every week. Like I said, he was taken very serious. Uh, I like the change in Eric Young, but hopefully with Lashley as the champion, uh, we can see some uh, great matches with maybe Samoa Joe, Eric Young you know, chasing that title and uh, hopefully some new things in TNA. And, you know, new is always good. So I'm uh, looking forward to seeing what they do. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, New York City's reaction to uh, this sort of faction between MVP, Lashley, and Kenny King. So it it hopefully will create, you know, great television every week. So, you know, I'm thinking that maybe this was a good move. Um, That's just my opinion. Dominic, what's your take on Bobby Lashley becoming world champion? Well, I was hoping EY would have held on to it for a while. I was always a fan of Bobby Lashley. I'm glad to see him back. Bobby Lashley is indeed the real deal. I'd like to see Bobby Lashley go up against Brock Lesnar. Oh, yeah. That's a dream. um, EY was a good champion, great champion. He had a good run. 
Mm-hmm. I just want to see him get that title back, maybe eventually. Yeah. And uh, Dominic, would you be so kind as to do the uh, wrestling day in history and the birthdays, etc.? Yeah, of course. That might be in the other room, so I'm walking there. Okay. Uh, all right, let's see what we got here. All right. Today's wrestlers' birthdays. We got Scrap Eye and Adam Pierce, Madman Pondo, Indie Star Sweet Mr. E. Don't know who that is. We got old time guy from the WWF back in the day, Irish Mickey Doyle, and from Mexico, Angel Azteca. And celebrities, the gorgeous Michelle Lee, Sherry Stringfield, who did ER and NYPD Blue. And the lovable Al Molinaro. You know who that is, right? Murray the oh, Cop yeah. from The Odd Couple. And also, he was in Happy Days. Oh, he's in both. Okay. And okay. today in wrestling history, June 24, 1985. Gino Hernandez and Gentleman Chris Adams won over the Fantastics. Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton in... Uh, Fort Worth, Texas, and they won the world-class American Tag Team titles. Unbelievable. Chachi, chachi, chachi. Okay, we're keeping up with the TNA spirit. Let's hear a clip on Bully Ray shooting on Dixie Carter, and he does some shooting here. Take a listen. Uh, How many belts have you had? Oh, I've won the TNA World Heavyweight title uh, two times. Two times, and... Like 23 times a tag. I think it's 23. Gotcha, you know, like, we, it, we've held every major world tag team title on the planet. Definitely the guy that's carrying the back of TNA and doing a great job. And I told, we were talking about uh, Dixie Carter, and I, I, you know, I wanted to catch up on you and see what you're doing, you know, out of respect, and you, you're going to be here. And uh, I saw you came down, down the chute, and Dixie was in the ring, and. You know, she had a table. I think the table had Dixie on it. And so now everybody, I, I would imagine, I make, uh, allegedly I'm saying, I don't know, my guess would be most of the people at the back would go, well, listen, you're not working a program with her. You know, why are we putting all the heat on her, et cetera? And uh, which to somewhat a valid, valid comment, I want to parallel it with um, uh, Stephanie came down. She put Triple H's in the ring, talking to some wrestler. Stephanie came down and just started beating the dog out of him. Why? Right. There was no right. Okay. But, you know, mm-hmm. hey, listen, you know, good for you. But with Dixie Carter, and I you know that this hasn't taken place yet, but, you know, she's a lady. Once you get your hands on her, like, we, are you going to throw her to the table? I'm going to pay to see that myself. I am going to do whatever it <laughs> You know my wife. No, <laughs> bad. Bad Rod. That's Bad Rod. Yes. Dixie, Dixie is... Uh, on that TV show, she's a bad person, and she has done some things in quote-unquote real life that has gotten her a lot of heat with the wrestling community. Gotcha. She pulled me off two shows at the last minute um, and hurt um, Tommy Dreamer's House of Hardcore promotion. Um, okay, Tommy Dreamer's a good guy. Yeah, he's, one, he's my best friend. And I was in the main event of Where have his, I been? <laughs> okay, go. I was in the main event of his, uh, in, of his shows in um, uh, Philadelphia and Poughkeepsie. And at the 11th hour, I got a phone call saying that 
I'm pulled off of his shows, and they're sending me to California to go to the Spike TV Awards. She, she did that deliberately to screw me, to screw Tommy, to screw the wrestling fans, because she knew it would hit me where it hurts. That's where she... She really, really crossed the line. People yeah. are salivating. The wrestling world is salivating. They want to know, is this lady going to th go through a table? Yeah. And I'm guaranteeing it. I'm going to put her through a table. I'm going to pick her up as ooh. high as I can, and I'm going to powerbomb her straight through a table. She'll break in half. I don't care if she breaks into a million pieces. <laughs> but what about, like, she's a lady. So what? Okie dokie, then. Jabarook. Like, Wait a minute. Who's Wait, on first? Roddy, <laughs> yeah. what, 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 did, what was Mae Young memorable for? Oh, May Young. Do you remember uh, when she got powerbombed off the stage? Yeah. Guess who did it yeah. to her? Uh, it was me. Yeah. That was you? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Roddy. I've been sitting here. <laughs> Thanks. I, I knew know this, this kid. Happen. He's a great kid. I knew this. I said, I'm going to get worked by Roddy Piper. I'm going to sit across from him for an hour, and he's not going to know who the hell I am. <laughs> now you know You're who I am. You're a great kid, man. <laughs> Holy baby. Jesus. I just didn't put it together. Aye, aye. <laughs> that was a great piece of business. Yep. That. And May, that was great. Yep. So now, T&H did Now I get it. So she should be weary. Yes. Because <laughs> it's not like your first traffic ticket. All right. I put many women through a table. I, I, she is going to be the next one. So, okay. That, here's the thing. Like, does she get first of all? Does she have a wrestling license from the commission? <laughs> I have no idea. You know, I, I have no idea. If they had guards and stuff, I imagine she's going to try to stay away. So it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Yep. What? Well, what? Who? Okay, JJ, weigh in on that clip. Oh man, but bully, like I said, we talked about bully uh, last week when we were playing clips of him on Chris Jericho's podcast. I mean, what a guy! And he really, genuinely wants to put Dixie through that table. And I think it would be a really big moment for TNA. TNA has had a few moments over the years. You could say when Sting came in, when uh, Kurt Angle came in, when Hulk Hogan came in. Kurt Angle. You know, when the Dudley boys came in, you know, when AJ Styles left, you know, but an actual TNA moment, you know, something that happened in, inside a TNA ring, you know, I don't know if they've had that many, you know, great memorable moments. They've had some excellent matches, of course, but a moment that really stand the test of time. And you know, as Bowie Ray said, you know, everybody remembers that moment uh, in the WWE when he powerbombed Mae Young off the stage through two tables on the on the floor area. I mean, it was unbelievable. And she was at the time, I think, 70 years old. My get, you know, my God. So I I don't see why Dixie wouldn't do it. I think maybe they want to save it for something big. They want to tease it for a few weeks, a few months. Uh, as he said, he's very accomplished. Eight-time World Tag Team Champion in the WWE with the Raw titles, uh, SmackDown Tag Champion eight-time ECW champion, uh, the WCW tag champion, NWA tag champion, TNA tag champion, uh, IWGP tag cha champion, uh, two-time world champion. He's got the accolades. He's not just, you know, some guy who's putting her through a table. He's Billy Ray. He's an established guy. He's one of their top guys. He has a history of putting women through tables, and I really do think that they are saving it Maybe possibly for Bound for Glory. If you were ever going to do it, do it at Bound for Glory. I don't know if they would do that at an Impact show, but definitely the next pay-per-view, Bound for Glory. I hope we see Bully Ray power bomb 
Dixie through a table. I think it's just a matter of time. Dominic, weigh in. Yeah, without a doubt, Dixie Carter's going through one of those tables. Bully Ray did it. When he did it with Mae Young, I tell you, I got scared shit. I said, this is an old woman. He's not really going to do that. Yeah. But he did it. <laughs> and I was right. I was on the phone with Mikey Simonetti, God rest his soul, and he said, I don't think Bully's going to do it. Look how old Mae Young is. I said, I hope he don't do it. And he did it. That guy Mike he said, I saw make, yeah. He used to he be your partner on the uh, hotline. What? Right? What? You, that guy, Mike Simonetti, I was listening to your show. He uh, he passed away, that guy? Yeah, three years ago. How'd he die? He had cancer. Terrible, terrible. How old yep. is he? Um, He was around my age. He, he was in his 50s. Wow. Yep. Oh, okay. So we were wow, on the phone talking while, while the show was on, and he saw Mae Young squeeze Bully Ray's hand after she went through the tables as if to say, I'm okay. Because the look on Bully Ray's face, like, I hope I didn't kill this woman. Yeah. But <laughs> Mae, Mae Young was tough. I wouldn't want to play games with her. She'd, fuck, she'd kick my ass. Yeah, she was a tough broad, man. Yep, yep. But a real sweetheart on the outside. I met her and Moolah so many times, and they were always so sweet. Really down-home southern southern gals that were really sweethearts. Absolutely. Okay, Bully Ray on how to improve TNA wrestling. Let's listen to this. Have you seen anybody out there that can give you can give you competition on TNA? There are a lot of, in the ring, yeah. physically, TNA has so many great performers. Bobby Roode, Samoa Joe, James Storm. I mean, MVP is there now. Bobby Lashley. Um, uh, the, the knockouts division, the women wrestlers are really good. TNA gives you such a great cross-section of anything that you want in pro wrestling. Gotcha. So physically in the ring, we got some of the best wrestlers out there, no doubt. When it comes to being on the stick, well, maybe a little bit of a different story. I, I think gotcha. that after 20 years of, 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 of talking and kind of honing my craft on the stick and on the microphone, yeah. you know, on the microphone for people who don't know what the stick means, um, I've kind of ele- my, elevated myself to a different level. Yeah. Um, but like I said... You're comfy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very comfy. Yeah. TNA has, definitely does have such a bright future because of that locker room, the talent in that locker room. And the one thing TNA will give you is... It's like, it's like going to a buffet, and you get a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You want hardcore, you got it. it. You want great technical wrestling, you got it. You want a, uh, you know high flyers, you got it. You want hot chicks, you got it. What TNA needs to do is it needs to work on its brand awareness. We need to gotcha. bring our brand to the people. Because like when I was watching, it was cool, but I had to seek it out. I actually did it on YouTube, to yeah. be honest with you. Yep. You know, because I just didn't know where to go. Yep. And that's just a pro- product placement. We're on Spike TV every Thursday night at 9 o'clock, and we've been there forever. But we need to work better as a company to get our name out there. Gotcha. Vince McMahon has invested an ungodly amount of money in bringing his name to the masses. Absolutely. And 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 I do feel that TNA is just one big 
uh, event away mm -hmm. from getting people talking. And if you that know. one big event is me putting Dixie Carter through a table, then great. Yeah. You know, I tell you, they call it back during the wars, uh, WCW, you know, WWEFG. And, like, you know, and they tell about this in the wars and that in the wars. I was there. And I'm going, I ain't at war with nobody. <laughs> you know, who's making this all personal? You know, I work for this promoter, I work for that promoter. And that whole concept of the wars, I wish everybody just went and went, hey, let's be nice. Right. You know, we're doing good, you're doing good, everybody's doing TNA's doing good, WWE's doing good. I don't know if he, uh, uh, WEC or... ECW. <laughs> I'm dumber than the fence post, baby. <laughs> Jesus. Thank God you're here, kid. <laughs> Where's Mae Young? Uh, she's a, she was tough, too. She could have powerbombed you if you had a mind. Mae Young is the toughest man I've ever met. <laughs> you know it. Okay, JJ, let's start with you. Your thoughts on uh, Bubba Ray's uh, outlook for TNA. Well, yeah, I think, uh, like you said, they really just need to get the word out about Impact and to get more people watching. As you, as a lot of the people have noticed, uh, you know, the ratings aren't, you know, they would like it to be better. They're not terrible, but, of course, they would like it to be better. They want more people watching. and. Not as many people were watching as they used to be, and they need to really get their name out there, uh, whether they advertise or put commercials out or do something. You know, uh, while they're in New York City, I found out that, you know, if you're watching Fox, you know, they have a show, Fox and Friends, and uh, some of the TNA guys were on Fox and Friends, and they were just kind of, they built a nice ring uh, over there, and they had, you know, the anchors of the news channel, you know, talking with the wrestlers, and they gave them, you know, wrestling nicknames, and they kind of showed them how to, you know, tie up and just things like that just to get, you know, the name out there to promote the New York City shows. It's really all they really need to do is to keep promoting and keep getting the word out about TNA and, you know, just to try to get more people watching. And it's just, you know, how you do that. You know, when you think of TNA, who's only really been around for 12 years, I mean, look at the WWE. You know, what was the WWE doing their first 12 years in the business? You know, were they on pay-per-view? No, there was no such thing as, you know, pay-per-view at the time. There was, you know, they, weren't, they didn't have this weekly cable station. You know, they, they were really, it took a long time for everything to come together so they could be the company that they are today. And, you know, TNA at just 12 years old, you know, they have their, you know, weekly pay-per-views or they're not pay per -view. Well, at the time when they started, they had the weekly pay-per-views, then they had the monthly pay-per-views. Of course, now they scaled back, and now they have these quarterly pay-per-views, which I actually think is more affordable for the fans, which is a good thing. So that this way they guarantee that they don't say, oh, well, this is another pay-per-view for TNA. Screw it. I'm not going to waste my time. You only have four out the entire year. You know, you really want to catch these pay-per-views because you know you're going to see something special. You know, we said it time and time again. You know, you can say whatever you want about, you know, the weekly impact shows, but TNA always, almost always delivers on their pay-per-views. They put quality wrestling, guys really breaking their necks to put the best product out there. So in that regard, it's just about, you know, getting the name out there and getting more people watching. I thought Piper said something funny. You know, during the uh, Monday Night Wars, really, if you were a, a superstar that was in demand, you know, whether you worked for WCW or went over to work for WWE, I mean, really, you're not really in a war. You're, you're going to work for whoever's in business at, at the end of the day. You know, you want to see everyone succeed so that you have a place to go to. 
you know, and I think that's was a healthy look at it. Well, as you know, at the time during the war, you know, WCW is trying to put WWE out of business. WWE is trying to put WCW out of business. I mean, it was, you know, it got very, you know, violent, very real, very fast, and you know, it was pretty, it was an unbelievable time in wrestling. But uh, hopefully today, you know, WWE's on top. There's this global phenomenon. TNA is trying to, you know, get there. They're trying to, you know, raise the awareness of the brand, of the company, get more eyeballs watching. So hopefully in time, TNA, you know, a lot of people always said they wouldn't be around. And 12 years later, they're still around. So, you know, there was a time last year we thought they were going out of business. And, you know, a year later, they're still around, you know. So, I mean, even when things look bleak, TNA finds a way to hang on. So as long as they keep, you know, fighting and doing the best they can to put, you know, the best product out there, the main important thing is to get more people watching and to have them stay watching and not to tune in and get tired of what they're seeing and then tune out. We want them to tune in. And like I said, an event like Bully Ray powerbombing Dixie Carter through a table would be something everybody would talk about. It would be a huge viral video on YouTube, everyone would want to see that. Absolutely. Uh, what about you, Dominic? So say you. Well, I think TNA is already out there. I just think they don't have enough people liking it. I think too many people are just addicted to WWE, and if there's anything else out there, they just don't want to watch it. Like I'll watch, I'll watch Mexico and I'll watch Puerto Rico. I'll watch TNA. And I'll watch WWE. And out of the two of them, if you're a real wrestling fan, you're going to like TNA better than WWE. I think a lot of people do. And I think even a lot of people are afraid to admit it. Because they figure, you like TNA? How could you like that? That's garbage compared to the WWE. Now, WWE, last night on Monday night, was one of the worst. It was a garbage show. The best match was Wade Barrett and Dolph Ziggler. Yeah. To me, TNA needs another show. I would love to see them put on Explosion, even if it's a one-hour show. Put it on on Friday, opposite SmackDown. And once people see the SmackDown spoilers, how lousy that show has been, yeah. they're going to turn the TV on to, uh, to watch Explosion, to watch TNA Explosion. Mm-hmm. I would. And as of now, Bully Ray, whether he's a heel or a face, I think he's the best guy in the business. Uh, I got to agree with you wholeheartedly. And, uh, uh, I mean, who could top Bully Ray as of now? Nobody. I can't think of anybody. Nope. Bully Ray is a top guy. If he's playing the heel or if he's playing the fan favorite. Now he's the fan favorite again, and he's getting he's getting major pops. Being the heel, he got major heat, which is what a heel is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I'm a Bully Ray fan regardless. I always was. I always was a fan of the Dudleys. Now Bully Ray on his own had another dimension to his character, that he's not just a tag team wrestler. He could go out there now and team with anybody, and he could wrestle anybody in singles matches. No matter who they put up against him, you know you're going to get a good match. Absolutely wonderful point you brought up. Okay, let's go back to remembering ECW one-night stand. 
Let's take a listen and talk on the other side. Nine years ago this week, on June 12, 2005, I mentioned at the beginning here that this week's history segment included two of my favorite all-time WWE pay-per-view shows. King of the Ring 93 was one of them. This was the other one. It was the first ever ECW one-night stand pay-per-view at the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City. My biggest regret living here in New York City was that I didn't go to this show because... And Webmaster Mike went to this show, and I, I curse him for doing so because I'm so jealous. It just seems like that would have been one of the most fun experiences to be part of, was being in the building for that show that night. Uh, I love this show, and I was never a big ECW fan when ECW was around. I was aware of it. I would check it out, but it wasn't my thing. So I was never a big ECW fan yeah, I became a bigger fan of it later on with the, the Rise and Fall DVD and when I got to watch some of the, the great matches that were there. But even to this day, I would never consider myself like a big ECW fan like, like some people are. And yet I watched this show, which had the ECW fingerprints all over it. Paul Heyman clearly was running the show that night. and All the old ECW faces were there and the music and the Sandman doing his thing and everything else. And... I at least was aware of who everybody was, and I, I enjoyed the hell out of this show. I had more fun watching this show, fun, pure fun, than probably any pay-per-view that they've ever put on before. And technically, it was a WWE show, but it was an ECW event. So whatever they did here, they needed to incorporate elements of this into their other shows, and it's too bad they never did. And it's too bad they got scared out of doing more shows from the Hammerstein after that one ECW TV taping where uh, Batista and Big Show got booed out of the building and people were chanting, change the channel and stuff. And they, they got so scared that they never went back. And I think that's a big mistake because it's, it's just a really fun atmosphere. And you want to have fun when you watch wrestling. This was a fun show. Uh, Rob Van Dam says that it was his idea. He pitched it to Vince and he ran with it. And that sucks for Rob because he was hurt. So he couldn't even wrestle on this show. He came out. His leg was in a brace, I think. He had just had knee surgery. Uh, he, he did some little angle. He was out there with Bill Alfonso, but he couldn't actually wrestle. But they had some, uh, some great matches on this show. It opened with a Lance Storm-Chris Jericho match that was really good. I remember there being a Chris Benoit. I think the Chris Benoit-Eddie Guerrero match was on this show. I guess it would have had to have been because Eddie died a few months later. Uh, it was good, but I remember being somewhat disappointed. Uh, they, you know, those guys were, were past their prime at that point. Uh, both were so beat up. Eddie was so beat up. Uh, and as we would find out later on, you know, always in just constant pain. And, and they couldn't quite do what they used to, but they did their best. Uh, I think what stole the show, quite frankly, was the Mike Austin Masato Tanaka match. Those guys beat the piss out of each other. Chair shots to the head. I mean, if I go back and watch that match now, which I did recently, it's very uncomfortable to watch. All the shots to the head, unprotected chair shot to the head, one after the other after the other. How Masato Tanaka is still performing and performing at a high level over in Japan is, is mind-boggling to me, but he is. Uh, but it was really a breakout performance in a lot of ways for Mike Awesome. There was a lot of you know bad memories about how Mike Awesome left ECW. Joey Styles buried him, just absolutely buried him, to go back to that word, on commentary. You want to see a burial job on commentary, you've got to listen to Joey Styles here. Uh, and I don't know how much of that was in character or not. I think a lot of it was, was personal, and I, I don't know how Joey would feel about it now, given what ended up happening to Mike Awesome, because I think at one point on commentary he actually said that he wished he was dead. Uh, but the match was, it was awesome as a spectacle. 
not so much as a wrestling match. These guys just beat the hell out of each other. They put each other through tables and chair shots, and I know Austin blew his knee out at the end of the match, uh, but he was the star of the show. Both these guys were. And the, uh, the main event was the Dudleys against the Sandman and Tommy Dreamer. Sandman got to do his full entrance. He came out to uh, Enter Sandman by Metallica. At least in the original version, they didn't dub it. It was awesome. It added so much to the show, seeing him do his thing to the original music. Uh, they had a match that ended with a flaming table spot, putting Dreamer through the table. Uh, match was over. Steve Austin came out. The theme of the show was there were a group of WWE invaders led by Eric Bischoff that were up in one of the balconies. So Edge was there, and a lot of the jo- not jobbers, but like low-level guys, Maven and uh, you know Rob. Well, I'll tell you, JJ, that does bring back memories nine years ago. What's your thoughts? Wow, can't believe nine years ago. My God, I remember that like it was yesterday, and it was probably the one best thing that the WWE ever did with the ECW name. That first pay-per-view was unbelievable. It didn't even feel like you were watching a WWE-produced show. It really felt like you were watching, you know, ECW like it never left. You know, it was really, that was Paul Heyman's, you know, show, and he fought tooth and nail for that Enter Sandman uh, Metallica song, because, of course, Vince, not wanting to spend the money on some guy, you know, what the hell, I'm not going to spend, you know, that kind of money on, this, on him and that entrance. Paul Heyman fought tooth and nail. He goes, you got to have that song for him. And it was one of the most memorable moments of the night. And uh, as he pointed out, another memorable moment of the night was the whole Mike Awesome and Masato Tanaka, especially now knowing what we know about concussions. And really, those were some of the most wicked chair shots. My God. I mean, straight to his uh, Masato Tanaka's head, unprotected. It was just unbelievable. And the amount of tables, I don't even remember how many tables, uh, you know, Mike Awesome powerbombed. Uh, Masato Tanaka was the awesome bomb, which he called it. It was just unbelievable. It was something, another one of those things that everybody talked about that match between Mike Awesome, Masato Tanaka. Uh, You know, that's the thing about ECW is, yeah, they were known as being extreme, blood, barbed wire, thumbtacks, you name it, and they had it. But they also had great wrestling, which, as he pointed out, Lance Storm, versus Chris Jericho. I believe uh, Don Marie was in Lance's corner. Of course, Don Marie, Lance Storm, Dustin Credible, part of the Impact players. A uh, really cool match. I remember, I think it was maybe Jericho, or maybe I'm, I'm saying this move wrong, but I believe he delivered a Tiger suplex to Lance Storm, something you would never see in the WWE. I mean, uh, if, I'm say, if it's the right move that I'm thinking of, Tiger suplex is kind of like a full Nelson but as like a German suplex where you drop the guy in the back of his head. I mean, it was something I was like, oh, that was great. That was something that you would have saw in ECW where they really didn't banish any moves. There were, you know, they did whatever the hell they did, you know. God forbid, you know, anyone broke their neck or got seriously hurt. They just went all out. And I thought the guys did a tremendous job. I didn't think the Benoit-Guerrero match was that bad. I thought it was, you know, pretty good for what it was. Uh, Rey Mysterio, Psychosis. Another was a great match of the night. Uh, super crazy and to Jerry. I mean, those guys. I mean, how many times did you watch ECW either on TNN or ECW TV and you saw these guys having just classic matches, one-on-one or triple threat, or as they called it, a three-way dance. 
I mean, these guys were really awesome. And, of course, I think uh, Tajiri had uh, the sinister minister in his corner. I think even the FBI were there at one point or another. The FBI, of course, the full-blooded Italians, little Guido, Tony Mamaluke, and Tracy Smothers were there. Uh, you know, the main event, as he pointed out, was the Dudley Boys. You know, Bubba Ray and Devon taking on Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman just again, just having just a real physical brawl, just all out, you know, flaming tables, the works, and it was just a really cool moment. And, yeah, of course, the WWE having to put their guys on the show because they assume no one's going to watch the pay-per-view unless WWE superstars are there. And they had them, you know, in the balcony or something. And I don't know, at one point they turned their back you know, to ECW or whatever. And, the, you know, I didn't give two craps about the WWE superstars who were there at the time. I only cared about the ECW originals. This was their show. It had nothing to do about WWE. But, of course, there was a cool moment at the end where they did have, you know, the WWE superstars come into the ring, and then you had sort of ECW toss them all out on their ass, and they stood tall. And, you know, they had that beer bash with the Sandman and Stone Cold Steve Austin, who's an original, you know, ECW. And uh, it was an awesome pay-per-view. The Rob Van Dam moment was very special. I think it opened up a lot of eyes. And the WWE, Rob Van Dam, who was hurt at the time, unfortunately, he could not wrestle. And, yes, it is absolutely 100% true that he pitched the idea to Vince. So that wouldn't have happened unless it, for Rob Van Dam. And I remember him delivering a very heartfelt, uh, emotional uh, promo, and it made people in WWE say, wow, this guy can actually deliver. Because every time Rob Van Dam was on WWE television, they have him as the laid-back, cool dude. Hey, dude, what's up, man? And, you know, when he was there that night, he really spoke from the heart. He loved ECW and what it did for him and for the other guys in ECW. You know, the little promotion that could – and, you know, and uh, it was a really great moment. Uh, he didn't wrestle, but uh, it was it was very cool. He was there, I think, supporting his partner, Sabu. Sabu had a match with Rhino, which I think never occurred in the original ECW. I don't think they ever had a match between Sabu and Rhino just because Sabu wasn't in the company when Rhino came in. So this was like a dream match. You got two original ECW guys who never faced each other. Now, finally... Sabu Rhino, so that was a, another kind of cool match to see. So it was just, uh, I mean, you couldn't ask for anything more. It was uh, the perfect night for ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling. I totally agree. And there's rumors that Rhino will show up at the Manhattan Center uh, along with some other people I read, but I'll get into that after. Dominic, uh, so say you. You know, I'll take it up. That really was a great pay-per-view. I remember JBL was one of the guys up in the rafters or up in the balcony or whatever, but the matches were unbelievable. Jericho and Lance Storm, former tag team partners, the Thrill Seekers, they put on a hell of a match against each other. Paul Heyman used to bring in all these guys, like from Mexico, he's got Rey Mysterio and Psychosis. From Japan, we got Masato Tanaka, Ghetto and Jadal. Paul Heyman wasn't afraid to invest money in these guys. And Masato Tanaka is still active today wrestling over in Japan. That was wow. a hell of a match with him and Awesome Mike Awesome. Yeah. The Gladiator Mike Awesome over in Japan. 
unbelievable. Unprotected chair shots all night long. And like you said, the Dudleys against Tommy Dreamer and Sandman. And it, the whole show was great from, from top to bottom. It was unbelievable. Yeah. That's what pay-per-view should all be about like that. Not a letdown, not a bad match, everything everything great. Yeah. Was that the night Rob Van Dam won the title, or that was the year after? Which one was that? Year after. The year after. That was. That was the year yeah. after. Oh, yeah. yeah. Rob was hurt, uh, as they pointed out. He had an injury. I think it was his knee. So unfortunately, even though he pitched the idea to Vince, he actually didn't get to compete at all. He just came out. He delivered a promo, and then that sort of introduced uh, the match between Sabu and Rhino. So, unfortunately, that night, Rob Van Dam could not wrestle. He wrestled the following year for ECW One Night Stand. Uh, it was, what, 2006? And that was when he cashed in his Money in the Bank uh, briefcase against John Cena for the WWE Championship. Oh, wow. So, uh... I'll go to you first. JJ, which one did you like better, the first one or the second one? Well, you know, it's hard. The, the second one wasn't bad. I mean, it incorporated some of the WWE guys. Of course, John Cena was there. But uh, I really, I think, I don't know if there was a match between Sabu and Rey Mysterio, but uh, the first one was special. I mean, it was special because it really had Paul Heyman's fingerprints all over it. You know, Paul Heyman, Tommy Dreamer, Rob Van Dam, that was sort of their sort of collaboration, their baby, and it it really felt like a legitimate ECW show, even though it was produced by WWE. In fact, I even remember, of course, you watch WWE pay-per-views, they're all in, you know, HD, they're crystal clear. And I remember that particular ECW one-night stand, they had this kind of uh, that old-school kind of visual graphics and visual video quality. So it was a little bit different, uh, even production-wise. They tried to make it as authentic as humanly possible to what ECW was and what they used and worked with at the time. So that first pay-per-view was just, it was really special. Uh, and I was there. Uh, Dominic, what about you? Yeah I, gotta agree with Jay, uh, yeah, I got to agree with JJ. The first one was, was excellent. And Paul, Paul, Heyman, Paul Heyman, a genius when it came to ECW. He was so innovative with everything. He started the three-way dance. He did yeah, that, the scaffold right. match. He did, he did all the things WWE would, would, would never even think of doing. That's what made them great. That's right. what made them something different and special. If you could have one ECW match, uh, and I'm going to say mine, that, that you'd always remember in your heart, I would go with RVD and Jerry Lynn. I know they wrestled a million times, but that would be my uh, ECW match. What would be yours, Dominic? Then I'll ask you, JJ. I liked one of the main events at one of their pay-per-views, which wasn't even supposed to be on the card. It was Bully Ray and Taz. Oh. I should say Bubba and Taz. What a yeah. match they put. They, Excellent. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Was well, he filling in for uh, Shane Douglas or something right. like that? I think so. Yeah, that was living dangerously in '99. I was there. That's when uh, Big Sid came out there and uh, 
fumbled uh, the Dudley boys impromptu uh, before uh, Bubba uh, went on to that main event match. And you're right, that was an excellent, excellent match. Yep. And uh, so say you, JJ. Uh, when you think of ECW, what would be your bread and butter match that you would always uh, say, you know what? When I think of ECW, I think of blank. Yeah, I mean, I really, uh, what you already said was actually a really good one, but to be a little different, uh, I did love, you know, Rob Van Dam, it, Jerry Lynn, anytime you got them together. I mean, Jerry Lynn was billed as the new effing show just because he was just right up there with Rob Van Dam. But for me, you know, to just to have a different uh, uh, scenario, I guess I would go with Taz and Sabu. I mean, the built-up between their match was awesome. They were a tag team with Bill Alfonso, and then you know that they had they were building up to this match between each other, and you know I remember just Taz just suplexing the hell out of Sabu, and there was just so many, you know, great moments. Uh, it was a, just a great built up. I mean, even with Dominic said Taz and uh, you know Bubba Ray. I mean, another just physical, awesome match. There's just so many that you could point out: uh, Tommy Dreamer and Raven. Uh, so many great feuds and matches, and just you know crazy, crazy stuff. It was just a lot of fun and just uh, great matches, crazy hardcore moments that you'll never forget. But uh, so, like I said, everyone and a lot of a lot of big moments, like uh, when the Sandman returned, um, the Dudley's final match at the uh, Elk Lodge in Queens, New York. You remember that, Dom, right? Um, Back in '99, before they left to WWE. Oh, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And you remember Taz when he lost the belt really quick? Yep. And, uh, yeah. But we were talking about uh, Paulie Heyman. Uh, uh, Bully Ray is uh, definitely on board with uh, saying that Paul Heyman is a genius. Let's take a listen and talk on the other side. Just had uh, decided to go to Middletown, New York, to, to check out ECW, which he thought was one of the worst wrestling companies in the world. Yep. And then what happens? My, my friends dared me to go. I said I, I wasn't going to go. I wasn't going to go. I don't want to you know, wrestle for that company. And I was, I was just about at my wit's end with wrestling. Nothing had really happened for me. I gave myself a five-year window. I said, if I don't make it in five years, if I don't sign a deal or get something, um, I'm just going to... What was your backup? Porn, porn star again? No, I was just going to go into the family business. You know, my family was in, like, oil and restaurants, so I always... You mafia. Know, I had, yeah, mafia. Yeah, mafia. Basically, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. There is no such thing as the mafia, <laughs> yeah, Chris. right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I show up there. Now, I had known Dreamer. And I had known Taz from working, you know, IWCCW with Savoldi's. And uh, so we get there, and I saw a Dreamer, and I said, hey, listen, Tommy, I brought my, I, I brought my pictures, and I brought my, my, my tape. I said, if there's any way possible, you could, you know, get me on the show. And uh, he goes, uh, stay right here. I waited there about five minutes, comes back. He goes, okay, I just spoke to Paul. He's the owner. He's the promoter. He goes, uh, you're going to be on the show. But no matter what they ask you to do, make sure you do it the best you possibly can, you know, make sure you knock it out of the park. I was like, great, no problem. Put my gear on. It's about 10 minutes before the show's supposed to start. I don't know what I'm doing. The show starts. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Third match is in the ring. Still don't know what I'm doing. Don't know who I'm wrestling with. Don't know who I'm working with. Mm -hmm. Fifth match. Sixth match. Finally, panic sets in. 
there's only two matches left, and I don't know what I'm doing. Now I think, well, maybe they're just testing me to see how my attitude is. So I go up to Paul. I go, excuse me, sir, I know you're really busy. I'm sorry, but I still don't know what I'm doing. He looks at me and goes, relax, kid. When the time's right, you'll know. <laughs> Look at my watch. The time's right. There's only two more matches. You know? The main event is about to go in the ring. The Pitbulls versus the public enemy. And this is when Bill Alfonso was a referee and 911 was trying to choke slam him. Mm-hmm. That was the big story. Mm-hmm. Paul pulls me on the side. He goes, okay, kid, you're in the main event. You're Bill Alfonso's new bodyguard. Your name is Mongo Vile. You are going to make sure 911 doesn't choke slam him, but when the time is right, 911 is going to choke slam you. You can't take a choke slam, can't you? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir, absolutely. I go out there in the main event, and I have to protect Bill Alfonso. Time's right. 911 gave me a huge choke slam. I took it like a monster, got way up there for him. Came back through the curtain, and as I come back, there's Paul sitting there, and he goes, Great job, kid. How do you feel about shaving your head? Now, backstory. My, <laughs> at that time, I looked like a cross between Max Payne and Brian Nobbs. <laughs> so you had the, the, the mohawk I had, mullet. I had the long mullet, you know, it got, kind of got curly at the end. I you can't know? even imagine that. Yeah. I wasn't exactly, you know, ready for the cover of GQ, <laughs> you know. So uh, my, here's the backstory. My two biggest fears coming up in the wrestling business is I never wanted to shave my head, mm-hmm. and I never wanted the nickname Bubba. Really? Yeah. What, had somebody you knew been called Just Bubba? never wanted the fat guy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, Did you ever tell anybody this? Nobody knew my wow. two biggest fears. Nobody. Because in wrestling, yeah, if of they course. know what your fears are. That's you know? exactly what it would be. So, uh, so um, he, he looks at me, great job, kid. How do you feel about shaving your head? And I was, I was dumbfounded. I was like, oh, no. What, what am I going to do? And he goes, looks at me, he goes, don't worry. If you don't want to shave your head, we can find something else for you. That moment right there, I knew that was my opportunity. Mm-hmm. That was opportunity knocking. The next day, I called my friend Joe. I said, take it all off. So I shaved my head. I get a call from Dreamer. says, show up to the ECW arena in two weeks. We're taping TV. We're going to make you a Dudley. Did the Dudleys exist at that point? Yes, yeah. the Dudleys existed. There was, uh, there was Big Dick Dudley. There was Dudley Dudley, Dances with Dudley. There was a bunch there of was them there. A, a guy I used to live with in Smoky Mountain was actually Snot Dudley. Yeah, little Ant- Snot Anthony Dudley. Anthony Michaels. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So um, I show up, and I, I wound up doing some run-in and you know, take, maybe taking another choke slam from 911 or whatever, but I didn't have a name. I didn't have a character. I didn't have an identity. And originally, the next Dudley was supposed to be a skinhead Dudley, mm-hmm. but I didn't exactly fit the skinhead role. Mm-hmm. So we get into the we, we go to the back of the ECW arena, as you know, three o'clock in the morning. We're doing promos. The whole company <laughs> sticks around. You yeah. know, it was really like a team back then. It was a very different, you know, it was. feel. And yeah. everybody watched everybody's promos, and we you know encouraged each other, and you know we were there for each other. So okay, I have to do my promo and. Now they can't find a name for me, and people are just shouting out names. Well, he looks like a Billy Bob. He looks like a Bobby Joe. He looks like a, you know, this. They're coming up with all these redneck names, and then somebody goes, hey, he looks like a Bubba. And I just remember saying to myself, oh, dear God, please, (laughs) please. Billy Bob's good. Billy Bob's great. I hope they didn't hear that. And somebody goes, yeah, he does look like a Bubba. He looks like a Bubba Joe. He looks like a Bubba Bob. Bubba Ray. Bubba Ray, you're Bubba Ray Dudley. And that's it. Wow. And that's it. I started 
stuttering and he's dancing. <laughs> well, the, the, the backstory of the of the of the Dudleys are they were the, the dad was a jobber who was going no, from... he was not a jobber. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting to pull that line all day. The Dudleys the, the Dudleys dad was a, was a, a journeyman wrestler yeah. who went from territory to territory and and had all these different kids with different mothers basically right right, right. that's what it was. Yep. So so where did the stuttering come into play? It, uh, Bubba Ray Dudley was a product of Big Daddy Dudley watching the movie Deliverance one too many times. Okay. So I was this inbred, backwards, you know, guy. But then when the music played, I could dance, and I had a stuttering problem. And, Glasses. Yeah, the whole nine yards. And the Dudleys, you know... They, you know, the Hanson brothers from, you know, Slash, yes. which I'm sure you know, being, you know, of dad course. being a hockey player and you being a hockey fan. And it's a classic. So uh, that's how the Dudleys were born out of the Hanson brothers. You know, big, goofy looking guys, inbred brothers who could kick your, you know, kick your ass once they got on the ice or in the ring. So that's how the Dudleys were born. And that was such a, a great example of what ECW was. Like you mentioned, there was a lot of, you know, there was some of the most hardcore wrestling you'd ever see, some of the most garbage wrestling, some of the most technical, amazing promos, great characters. I still remember you and uh, Blue Me doing the old uh, mirror image thing where like he put yep. his hand up and you put your hand up and he wa- waved his hand you waved it was like so stupid but so incredibly entertaining and ECW really at that point in time you could never recreate that in any other promotion because the way that the world was at the time it was the first people had seen of this kind of amalgamation of styles Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why ECW got so popular. Would you agree with that? No doubt. It was special. I mean, we were we were like the Ramones or the Sex Pistols of the wrestling yes. business. You know, we were brash, in-your-face, edgy. People didn't know what they were going to get. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to get, but I know I can't miss it. Right. You know? Um, a quick interesting aside from on that, that same night I debuted in Middletown, New York on September 28, 1995. Mm-hmm. Another pretty well-known guy debuted in ECW that night. You might know him. Who's that? Stone Cold Steve Austin. Really? That's the night that he showed up and did the, his Hulk Hogan imitation. Mm. You know, and that was his first night. He did a promo with the Sandman, and then you know Steve spent about uh, maybe a little less than six months in ECW before he left for the WWE. And Steve will be the first to admit. Oh yeah. Took the finish from Mikey Whipwreck. Yeah. And basically, you know, molded Stone Cold Steve Austin around. The Sandman. We, yeah, well, elements of it. We yeah. talked about that on this show, and also not only that, but it gave him a chance to really uh, break loose promo-wise. Yes. do anything he wanted to do, and, and really, you know, Steve's a funny guy. He's very charismatic, but he didn't have the chains of being in the big-time company that WCW had put on him. And, Correct. I mean, ECW, like, you know, I, I was only there for six months, too, but I had wanted to get in there for a whole year beforehand because I was working in Japan pretty much exclusively at the time. And if you worked in Japan in the mid-'90s, you knew two things, ECW and Rey Mysterio Jr., because that's all they showed in the magazines. ECW, this, 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 and Rey Mysterio everywhere. Right. And uh, I, like I said, I tried to get in for a year. I called Paul Heyman for a year, and I got Paul Heyman's roommate, Dave, <laughs> a.k.a. Paul Heyman. I got, uh, I got Jimmy Snooker on the other line, and I'll be right back which he used on everybody. He, I couldn't get through. And then, of course, when I finally got through to him, he's like, I've been trying to contact you for a year. Yep. <laughs> you know, but that was, like you said, the mad scientist genius of Paul. Yeah. You know, uh, but it really was, you know, they talked about the revolution. Unless you were in that locker room, you really could understand that it was just that. Bingo. That's, you know? I mean, unless, 
when I hear people, you know, uh, put down ECW, speak negatively, or, or have this, you know, these crazy opinions about it, the first thing I ever said, you've never been in the locker room. You don't understand what it was about. Mm-hmm. You're jealous. Mm-hmm. So many people jealous of ECW and what it really was. It truly was a revolution. Mm-hmm. Paul was able to create this sense of urgency amongst the fans and amongst the wrestlers where we're going to go out there and we're going to really take this industry by the balls and make people sit up and take notice. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. You know, ECW wound up becoming the, you know, becoming Napster. Napster at the end of the day went out of business because of just bad financial moves, but it also revolutionized music. That's true. Yeah. And anybody who, nobody can sit there. I'll take any mind from 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 you know a guy that just stepped foot in the business to Vince McMahon, you cannot sit there and look me in the eyes and tell me ECW did not revolutionize the entire wrestling industry. Mm-hmm. I it's, agree. It's fact. Oh, absolutely. That's not opinion. It's fact. Fact. There would be no such thing as an attitude era mm-hmm. if it wasn't for that little company in South Philly running out of a bingo hall. Absolutely. But even even more than that, it's like. There's so many, it's like Anthrax. There's so many things that Anthrax did first that no one remembers. Wearing shorts on stage, bald guy with beard, rap metal. ECW not only had, you know, the, the hardcore wrestling, three-way dance. Never heard of that before. Now, now triple threats. You're probably going to see a triple threat in the main event of WrestleMania this mm-hmm. year. You know, that never happened as far as I know. And I was a big wrestling fan. I never saw a triple threat match until it was the three-way dance. So there was a lot of those type of things that, that started Another thing that I noticed that I've never experienced this before or since, and I've been in the business, we started probably at the same time and worked for everybody, was the feeling of camaraderie amongst the guys, which you mentioned, but also before every show. Paul Paul would come and stand in that little top of the stairs in the backstage dressing room and give the Newt Rockney speech. You know, I, I, these are the finest athletes in the world that were cast out by every, you know, It was like a, a southern preacher would get you so pumped up that you would go out there and you would kill. You would kill for him. There's no doubt. And Paul was so good at being a motivator. Yes. And so good at protecting his company when everybody knew his company was sinking. Mm. You know, the boys knew that there were financial problems and who who hadn't been paid in a month or in six months. I can honestly say Paul has always paid me Me and Devon, never owed me and Devon a dime. But to see him be able to talk to guys that had not been paid, who are about to go put their hands behind their back and take a steel chair over the head and motivate them enough to go and want to do that and do it with a smile on their face. That's why the man's a genius. Yeah. He's a genius from what he was able to create as far as a product, a genius in the way he could hide people's flaws yeah. and accentuate their positives, Absolutely. and a genius in keeping his company afloat mm-hmm. when it was on its way down. Mm-hmm. See, but I, I was there in 95... Uh, wow, JJ, what do you think of that uh, amazing uh, clip of uh, Bubba Ray talking to Jericho? Well, absolutely. I mean, we've said it time and time again about Paul Heyman and his ability to just be, you know, I don't think anyone can compare to him. You know, he's such a great speaker, a uh, motivational speaker, his ability to really make a connection, not just to the fans, but to the guys in the locker room. You know, when he would when he would give those speeches to the guys, 
to sort of lift up the morale when things weren't, you know, at their best, when things were down, and he owed people money, and yet people would still go out there and, you know, break their necks for him. That's uh, unbelievable. I mean, today, you know, if you, know, you weren't going to pay someone, they wouldn't wrestle. That, that's just all there is to it. But yet these guys, you know, because they love Paul, they loved what ECW was about, the fact they had an opportunity to display, you know, their abilities in the ring, you know, they would do anything for Paul. You know, despite the fact that, you know, they were, you know, behind on money and that they weren't getting paid, they would do anything they could to keep, you know, ECW going because they believed in ECW. And, you know, Paul believed in his guys. You know, he gave them the opportunity to do things that, you know, the other companies would. Lots of times you heard that ECW was sort of the band of misfits, the guys who nobody wanted. And Paul was able to take these sort of misfits and try to, build them and create characters and stars and to give them something. He, he hid their flaws so that, you know, you only saw their best. Whether it was a guy like the Sandman who, you know, came to the ring, drank beer, and, you know, maybe didn't put the best matches on, but, you know, you didn't care about that. You know, he came in there, he interacted with the fans, he swung his cane, and you were happy. You loved it. You couldn't wait for him to crack a cane over somebody's head or Tommy Dreamer and, uh, you know, so many guys who just, you know, had these, you know, abilities to go out there and to be themselves and to, you know, be, you know, superstars. And yet when they made it to the WE, they were, you know, second rate. They were mid-card. They opened the show. They weren't anything no wild. And yet, you know, in ECW, these guys were like kings. They were, you know, they were taken seriously. You know, you believed in these guys that, you know, they were out there breaking their necks and they were, you know, the most badass, you know, locker room in wrestling. And it was, uh, it's just, uh, like they said, you could never recreate that today. You know, you couldn't do that with Ring of Honor. You couldn't do that with TNA. You can't duplicate that. It was something that was special in that time, in that era, the things that were going on and, you know, the mainstream audiences and, you know, this media in the 90s. It was just, it was just that, that moment of rebellion and that, you know, taking that revolution and standing up and doing something different that was never seen before. I mean, you never saw someone go through a table, let alone a flaming table or thumbtacks in, you know, the United States on television. That was unheard of. You would never see that in the United States. And yet you saw it on ECW. They were doing it, you know, on ECW TV or on their pay-per-views. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And like I said, it was something you just can't duplicate. It was innovating. You know, even Dominic pointed out the three-way dance. There was just, you know, you never saw anything like that. The three-way dance, the four-way dance. I mean, nowadays, you know, fatal four-ways and triple threat, and you see them almost every week, every month, you know. But then it was cutting edge. It was new. I mean, what the hell? Three-way dance. Wow, this is amazing. You know, three guys, you know, killing each other, and there's pinfalls and eliminations, and it was unbelievable. It was, you know, cutting edge. And it's just, like I said, something you will never be able to replicate today it was just special and uh, that's what ECW was to me it was special and it did make a difference and it changed you know lots of times we talk about the NWO and how the NWO changed the game and all this stuff but you know maybe the NWO wouldn't have been around if you didn't have these guys who were going to the extreme and who were like a bunch of gang members and that had that gang style mentality in ECW I mean it was just those guys really were hardcore man whether it was, you know, physical, brutal, bloody matches, or like I said, just unbelievable classic wrestling bouts that were hardcore. And they didn't involve tables or tacks. They was just flat-out 
awesome wrestling, chain wrestling, just just awesome. I mean, could never, like I said, replicate something like that. It was, you know, something we only see once in a lifetime. Okay, Dominic, your thoughts? Yeah, ECW was one of a kind, and JJ's right. There's no way that could ever, ever be duplicated again. Cutting edge, dives off balconies, flaming tables, and yet you had your gorgeous valets, you had wrestlers that can wrestle, like Jerry Lynn. Um, you had your hardcore guys, like Axel and Ian Rotten. You had your tag teams, the Public Enemy, the um, Cronus and Saturn, Sabu and RVD. You had managers. Thanks. You had um, Paul Heyman. You had um, uh, Bill Alfonso. You had everything. ECW gave you a little bit of everything and a lot of greatness. You got blood. You got a chance to see people you never saw before. Um, the FBI, Tracy Smothers, uh, Little Guido, Big Sally Graziano, um, the Baldies. It was just so great. Everything Paul Heyman did was innovative, uh, bringing out all the different styles of people. Now you watch WWE, they're all like a bunch of robots doing exactly the same moves. And I love my Mexican wrestling, but everybody does the same exact style. You've seen one lucha match, you've seen a hundred of them. They all wrestle the same. ECW, everybody was different. They had their own identity, they had their own style. Um, even J.T. Smith, a black guy, coming to the ring singing Italian songs. That's right. I mean, <laughs> that was hysterical. I mean, his singing wasn't the best. He was a damn good worker in the ring. But what black man comes out singing Italian love songs? Not that many. worked for him. <laughs> he had the franchise Shane Douglas. The pioneer of oh, TNA, yeah. Jerry Lynn, was well-known yeah. way before he went to TNA. They just had so many guys, and Paul Heyman gave everybody a chance. Whether you came from Japan or wherever, you got a chance with Paul Heyman. If he saw a little something in you, he'd bring you right out there. He left Dominic when Cody Rhodes was brought in for a short time. What happened? Do you remember when Dusty Rhodes was feuding with Steve Carino for a couple months in the late 90s with the, in the ECW? He did a few dates. You know, let me tell you something about Steve Carino. Steve yeah, Carino's tough as nails. Get the American dream, a run for his money every time we got inside the ring. We got in the square circle, and it was always a bloodbath. Whether it's his blood, my blood, or both our bloods, we Amen. beat the living hell out of each other and loved every minute of it. And that's the God's <laughs> honest truth. They were all bloodbaths. Steve Carino and Dusty were both bloody messes. It was an unbelievable feud between... A great young guy and an old chiseled veteran that I think can still go uh, today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, JJ, were you going to say something? Yeah, you know what I was going to say is one thing I liked about ECW was they never insulted their audience intelligence. 
Like nope. Dominic pointing out, you watch WWE and you got people throwing up on each other. You got uh, the Adam Rose people. You got Bo Dallas, and you got a lot of these goofy characters doing silly, goofy things. And well, I do understand they are PG, but there are you know instances where they do things where you know one minute you know uh, that Rusev guy is from Bulgaria and now he's being built from Russia, and they think their audience is stupid and they don't remember how for weeks he was coming out saying, oh the the Bulgarian destroyer or whatever. Now, oh, well, now he's from Russia because the Russian president, you know, is giving them props or something. They want some sort of, you know, response from them. They think their audience is stupid, and they don't remember what they did the week before. You know, ECW, they never insulted the fans' intelligence. They were always very real. They gave you material that we could understand, that you could follow, and that, you know, it, it was adult-themed in the sense that it was for people who could understand and follow and keep up. It wasn't, you know, too complicated or anything, but it was straightforward, and, you know, it wasn't, you know, silly and goofy. I mean, yeah, you had the, you know, the Blue World Order, it was a, a shoot on the NWO, but that was fun. You know, as you pointed out, there was that instance with, uh, you know, Bully Ray, uh, Bubba Ray and the Blue Meanie where they were kind of mirroring each other. I mean, you could watch that in ECW, and it would kill. It would be hilarious. You could probably watch that in the WWE, and it would be god-awful, just because they don't know how to, to execute certain things. There was something about ECW where you could do something silly and still make it work and be funny and to have the audience who ECW were some of the most bloodthirsty fans in wrestling, and yet they would enjoy that side of the entertainment because it wasn't that ridiculous. I mean, it was fun. And I think that's the difference between wrestling then and today was it was just so much fun and they didn't insult their intelligence. JJ, I got to tell you something. I couldn't agree with you more. Everything that you just said about WWE that sucks, that's everything that makes me want to throw up. Yeah. WWE insults the fans' intelligence, just like you said. Yep. People throwing up on each other. Uh, this guy being now from Russia, and he was from Bulgaria two weeks ago. Kofi Kingston has an accent one minute, next minute he ain't got it. Um, you know, um, Adam Rose and the Rosebuds, ridiculous. Bo Dallas is stupid. Now, TNA, granted, may have its stupid things. Yeah. Like um, Sam Shaw being a mental patient. But yeah. that don't last long. It don't take up the entire show. Yeah. Stupid things that TNA does, like the Menagerie. The Menagerie is actually funny compared to Adam Rose's Rosebuds because they're not out there for the longest time creating an annoyance. And ECW <laughs> never insulted the fans' intelligence by doing stupid things like that. You were Japanese, Never. that's where you were from. You were from Mexico, you were Mexican. They they never did anything to make you feel like, oh, shit, look at what they're putting on this week. The only thing that bothered me about ECW was the time that it was on. Two in the morning, yeah. one in the morning. But I stay, Two but in the morning. stayed up. Yeah. Uh, I wish if they had the DVRs back then, it wouldn't have been a problem. Yep. Um, but I totally agree with you. But it was worth staying up 
And People I remember it wasn't up, even They set on. their alarm clocks to wake them up for ECW, and you never dozed off. No, not with ECW. Uh-uh. Maybe with the uh, maybe with Worldwide, but not not uh, ECW. Definitely not. Um, but I remember they didn't have any TV here in the New York metropolitan area, and they gave out episodes at the Elks Lodge of a uh, week's worth of uh, television tapings, and uh, that was really cool of uh, Heyman to do that. Oh, I remember that, remember yeah. That? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, that, was, that was a while ago, but it just seems like yesterday. Yep. I really do miss CW. Oh, but yeah, God rest it so. And a lot All of right, people... Let's, uh, a yeah, lot of people ahead. didn't like it because they said, oh, why do these guys have to use chairs? Why do they have to use glass and barbed wire? Not everybody did that. That's right. You're 100% right. And you had a little bit of everything, a smorgasbord, if you will. You yeah, had you had the, uh, you had the uh, technical wrestling. You had the Sandman bra- mm-hmm. brawling. You had yep. the... Uh, Sexy uh, ladies uh, in there. Uh, you even had SIDS. You know, you had different things for different people. Just yep. incredible. Yeah. Another great character. Taz, oh, like another incredible. great character. You had Roadkill. Roadkill and Danny Doring. Roadkill yeah. and Danny Doring. But I'll tell you, that Taz that was from ECW... Uh, that that particular Taz was the best, not yeah. the one oh, that yeah. came to WWE. No, because the one in ECW when he used to shoot, he really shooted. Yep. Yeah, you felt it. Funny, I remember years ago when Taz was coming to WWE. A friend of mine who was a friend back in the day, he used to tell me. Uh, Taz is going to be great in WWE. I could just see him jumping on the back of the big show. Hey, come out of here, you big jerk. And just making the big show tap out. And I remember talking to George Ann, God rest her soul, and she says, they're never going to use Taz properly in the WWE. He's too small. I said, but he's great. Look at all the suplexes, how we control guys around. Almost like the Iron Sheik. She says, I like Taz more than just as much as you do. But wait till he gets to WWE. You're going to say, I wish ECW was still around, that Taz can still be there and show us what he's got. WWE won't let him do anything. And they didn't. She was right. Yep. Except that night that he uh, came out and he fought Angle. That was his only night uh, when he was the mystery man. That's yeah, that little Wumble shoot with Jerry Waller, which really didn't amount to nothing. Nope. But Kurt Angle was to wrestle a quote-unquote mystery guy. Yeah. And uh, everybody probably knew that it was Taz. Mm. And then the, you heard, uh, and his opponent. Beep, beep, beep. So uh, he had that WWE music, which I liked. It was yeah. pretty good. They they. It was, a, it was a not bad, not bad for WWE. Okay, one uh, final uh, shoot uh, for Bully Ray. His story on getting trained to wrestle. 
when you decided you wanted to get into the business, like for me, like I didn't know what to do. Like I want to be a wrestler, but how? Like there's no internet, and I think I maybe read the Hart Brothers Pro Wrestling Camp in the back of a magazine or something, and then you know what I mean. So how did you figure out where you could go to train? I'll try. I'll try to give you the whole, the whole story so you understand and your listeners so they get a you know better grasp of this. I knew I always wanted to do it, but much like you, had no idea where to go, what to do. I remember as a kid calling, you know, information and, you know, getting the number for Stanford, Connecticut for the WWE headquarters and asking the operator, how do I be a pro really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, I, how do I be a pro wrestler? And they would say, well, you have to send your tape to J.J. Dillon, you know, wow, yeah. because back in the day, J.J., you know, ran everything. And, uh, and I would ask, um, does this match have to be in a ring or can I do it in my grass, in my backyard? <laughs> you know, I had no clue yeah. how to go about this. I was about 16 years old and... My family opened up a uh, catering facility, and my uncle hired two security guys to work uh, work there. One guy's name was Brian Donahue, mm -hmm. who was an uh, enhancement guy back in the 80s for WWE, and another guy's name was Mark Tenler. Mark Tenler's claim to fame was he was the mass superstar like twice. But, of course, he told me he was the mass superstar who worked with, you know, Stan the Man, sure. Shazier, right. and traveled all the way down the East Coast. And, and, of course, when I met Bill Eady and I went, you're not the mass superstar. <laughs> so um, he had a wrestling school, and I remember going to his wrestling school one day, and it was in his garage. And the ring ropes were, uh, I, I, I don't even know what kind of, just rope, just mm -hmm. rope tied around like a water pipe. And taped to the walls and, yeah. uh, you like know, twine, gym, yeah. yeah, twine, gym mats on the floor. And it was just, you know, and there's some guy in the ring, some disheveled looking homeless guy with leaves in his hair. Uh, I, 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 I was like, what kind of wrestling school is this? What kind of, you know, losers are they, you know, training here? This guy's not a pro wrestler. He's a, he's a sack of crap. Right. Years later, I come to learn that that sack of crap was Mick Foley. Really? Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Mick had trained at Marks a couple of times. Um, so I, I did. You ever tell Mick that? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah, great. yeah. That's great. So um, I never, uh, I never went to Marks school because I was totally, you know, unimpressed. Um, and then a couple, maybe another year or so went by, and I wound up meeting this guy. I don't even want to say his name, and only because I'm on your show will I even say this. But I think this – let me go on record. This guy's a piece of shit, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So I wound up meeting a guy named Sonny Blaze. Mm -hmm. And Sonny Blaze was an enhancement guy for the WWE back in the day. And he says, okay, listen, I'm going to bring you to Johnny Rods. I'll introduce you to Johnny. He's got the most reputable, reputable wrestling school. Takes me down to Johnny's, meet Johnny. Johnny says he's going to train me. But Johnny lived an hour away from where I was. But I was still willing to drive into Brooklyn every day, go to Gleason's, where a lot of other famous pro wrestlers had trained. No problem. I'm going to do it. He told me the price. And you were in Long Island, right? Yeah. yeah. Hour away. A long way. So this guy, Sonny, turns around. He says, listen, I got an idea. Instead of this, I've always wanted to open up my own wrestling school. He goes, not only do I own my own WWE ring, but I'm friends with Terry Garvin, who was an office guy back mm -hmm. in the WWE back in the day. Mm -hmm. And he said, and I want to open up the wrestling school five minutes from your house. And I'm going to start my own promotion. And when I start my own promotion, I'm going to make you my first world heavyweight champion. 
filling my head with... When you're a kid, you just think, oh my gosh, yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And we all got it back right. in the day. Right, and he was starting negotiations with HBO, and he had his own, you know, yeah. the whole nine yards, sold me on the whole bag of goods. <laughs> so I give, you know, I give him my $2,500 to go to wrestling school, which I borrowed from the Loan Sharks. You know, wow. that's how bad I wanted to go to wrestling school. Went to the Loan Sharks, borrowed $2,500. So get to wrestling school my first day. Mind you, back in the day, I'm 400 pounds. Okay, I'm a big boy. Were you always in the, big, like in high school uh, yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. Always. Yeah, high school was 275. Went to college, did the yeah, whole college yeah, yeah. thing, and just ballooned up. So I was 400 pounds, but I was always athletic. Could always, you know, always knew I wanted to be a wrestler. So day one in wrestling school, there I am in a 20 by 20 WWE ring in this brand new wrestling school. There's my trainer, Sonny, sitting there. He's smoking a cigarette in a folding chair. He looks up at me and he goes, "Okay, what do you want to learn?" <laughs> and of course. The first thing out of my mouth was drop kicks. <laughs> so there I am, day one in wrestling school, learning drop kicks. Wow. I'd be the That's... first one to tell you that I was trained so, so, so bad. I was never trained the right way in the business. I'm not really technically good in the ring. Let me know a little secret here. <laughs> my, my claim to fame is this. Those smoke and mirrors that we hear so much about, <laughs> I have mastered the art of using them. <laughs> Now, but you have a wrestling school yeah. now, right? Yeah. Me and Devon opened up a school. So anyway, I went to Sonny's school. Yeah. I only went there for a year. And I like this. I, now I say that the business trained me. Mm -hmm. You know, going on the road, wrestling in the indies, like IWCCW back in the Northeast for the Savoldis for five years. I remember when I was working in Calgary, at a, at a, I just trained, and I was working at a gym. And the, and the big thing was they had a satellite TV. And I used to watch... ICCW with Curly Mo, the big, yeah, yep, thing. he's yep, like doing yep, like a Curly Three yep, Stooges yep, gimmick, yeah. Yep. So I started with them, and you know, just by being around guys and trying to learn from all the right guys, you know. So I kind of the business really, really trained. What was me. your name back then? <laughs> Mongo Vile. <laughs> wow, what a story, JJ. What's your thoughts? Oh man. I mean, it just goes to show you how different uh, it was to get into wrestling. Now, I mean, my God, it's so easy. You can just go online and see, you know, all these wrestlers who are running these schools and, you know, whether or not you can decide right off the bat whether or not this was someone who was, you know, very successful or, you know, whether or not they had a run in WWE or whether or not they have connections. You can kind of, you know, figure that out now so you don't go and get, you know, sucked in by some, you know, scam artist like, you know, Bully was. You know, you had some guy just kind of rip them off and, you know, feed them a bunch of lies. And, you know, and unfortunately, there's a lot of promoters like that, and it's just a uh, part of the business. But, uh, you know, he had just breaking into wrestling. Like I said, Jericho had to look in a, a wrestling magazine, and he had to, you know, send a – he had to mail a actual physical letter. He had to write on a piece of paper and put a money order and check and send it out. You know, there was no email. There was no, you know, you know Internet where you could do all these things. So, you know, what a different time it was then, you know, compared to now. But that was funny hearing that uh, the, the one school he went to and he saw this kind of homeless guy. He looks like a piece of crap. And it turns out to be mixed full yeah. of all people. My God. But, uh, I mean, what, yeah, what a story, man. I mean, that's something that could only happen, you know, back in the day. And it's just kind of funny hearing it now. But, uh, wow, what a difference. Okay, Dominic, your take. All right, I got two good stories that actually are part of um, the interview. First, Mark Tenler. Mark Tenler 
was actually a bouncer in a topless bar in Manhattan. Okay? And Mark Chandler was featured on an episode of The Art Couple where Felix wanted to do an expose on the life of Oscar. And Felix is bothering the hell out of Oscar throughout the whole show with his camera taking pictures of everything he does. So Oscar figures, i got to get away from Felix somehow. He goes into this topless bar, and in comes Felix with the camera. And you don't go in a topless bar with a camera. So there's this big guy, picks up Felix, and sits and stands him on the sidewalk. And they showed it from the ground up. So they made this guy look bigger than he really was. That guy was Mark oh, wow. Tenler. Now, oh, wow. Mark Tenler was at every Nassau Coliseum show that I went to when I went back in the day. He was the opening match, and he was one of the nicest guys ever. But in the ring, he sucked. He was the worst ever. No wonder why Bubba didn't, didn't go stay in his school. This guy would wrestle in the opening match and beat Johnny Rods, Jose Estrada, Frank the Gypsy Rodriguez, anybody that, the, Ron Shaw, any of the guys that are the unsung heroes, Mark Tenler would beat. And he beat a guy named Fabulous Frank Monty, who was related to the Alaskans, Mike and Jay York. He was a brother-in-law. And every time I'd go to the Coliseum, next time he'd beat Johnny Rods again. Then he'd beat Jose Estrada again. Finally, we get a match with Mark Tenler and Fabulous Frank Monty. And Fabulous Frank Monty pinned Mark Tenler, and the crowd went nuts. I never heard a standing ovation like that in my life since the Yes movement of, of Daniel Bryan and the match with Pedro Morales and Bruno in Shea Stadium. Finally, Mark Tenler was beat. All right? Now, he was a local guy that lived out in Long Island. That's why he was on every show. He was never on television. He was never in the garden. But fabulous Frank Monty started Mark Tenler on the losing streak. Every other show I went to after that, Mark Tenler lost. Johnny Rods beat him. Estrada beat him. Frank Rodriguez beat him. Frank DeMoose Monroe beat him. Everybody that he had beaten came back and wound up beating him. Now, the other story about Bubba Ray being Mongo Vile, John Arezzi's convention. The last year John Arezzi had it, it was three nights. Friday night was wrestling matches. Saturday was dealer tables and the super tickets. And Sunday was also that. And the dealers still, still selling stuff, but, you know, closing up shop. And that was a match that I saw Bubba Ray as Mongo Vile. When he still had hair, I forgot who he fought. But on that show was Louis Spicoli, um, Conan wrestled, um, some of the guests were Luthez was there, and he was sitting ringside, but Mongo Vile was, was Bubba Ray, 
And that was his first match ever wow. at John wow. Arezzi's convention. I forgot who he wrestled. I forgot who he wrestled. I think he got disqualified or either he won. I really don't remember who, but that was his first match. That's cool. And I told him, I said, I want to interview you on my hotline. And at the time, he gave me his home number, his work number, and his beeper. But I was blowing out all the systems in the hotline companies. I never really got a chance to do it. And when George Ann tried to get me Bubba, he said, oh, I know who he is. I got beef with him. I said, how could he have beef with me? I haven't seen him since John Arezzi's convention. And he says, and she tells me, she says, that's how Bubba is. He's not really a people person. Devon is. Yeah, yeah, but but, but Bubba's Bubba's not, and I was I was surprised. Yeah, I, I never yeah, had beef, I never had beef with the guy. <laughs> no, no, but he's just like that. Yeah, he's socially. Uh, he says that he's he, socially he says that to get out of doing things. Yeah, that's right. That could be like a boy, a too. Feed or an autograph signing or to say hello. Sometimes he doesn't even acknowledge people. But, you know, I also oh, heard absolutely. if he gets to know you real good, he's 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 really nice. Yes, yes, yes. Mark, uh, his real name, of course. And yep. uh be interesting to see if he takes on Lashley, which would be a great match, oh, I think. Oh, my God, yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, uh, definitely we'll see uh, what happens this week at the TNA tapings. Uh, and they will be returning in August. And uh, SummerSlam, is JJ, is that back in uh, California again? Yes, it's back, I believe, at the, uh, was it the Staples Center again for the, I don't know, the five or the sixth time. It's, uh, it's just been a tradition. They they love going out there. They love being around, you know, Hollywood, and they want to try to get that sort of mainstream media attention. So it could be a tradition that's, you know, staying uh, in uh, L.A. Well, they should have something that comes to New York and Chicago, for that matter. Well, yeah, we have if they're going to do Chicago lately had uh, two consecutive payback pay-per-views. Maybe they feel that, you know, this is going to be our pay-per-view in Chicago. But, they, yeah, they definitely need something for New York. I mean, New York, one of the a really great markets for WWE and wrestling, you know, hot crowds. I mean, they'd be crazy not to have something special there. Uh, no question. I totally agree. And uh, we're going to wrap it up a little early tonight. We've got a little errands to do. I want to thank Dominic Valente. You just call him up at 212-69-1900. That is his hotline number. And give it a listen. It's a very good listen. 15 minutes of uh, news every day. Yep. And, uh, Jay, thank you for joining us here. Always a pleasure, man. Thanks, Dominic King. Uh, to the listeners, uh, Money in the Bank is this Sunday. You can watch it on the network if you're subscribed. Uh, it's oh, it is this Sunday. Yeah, that is a uh, Sunday. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, it's so. this week. Yeah, I think so. Holy and we only know four matches. 
against Naomi. The Got Uso it. will be defending the tag team titles against the Wyatts, uh, Eric Got Rowan, it. Carper. Of course, now they finally have the, the uh, entrance into the Money in the Bank briefcase match, and this is, of course, the winner of the briefcase match will have the opportunity for one year to cash it in against the WWE World Champion, and the participants are Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, Dolph Ziggler, Kofi Kingston, Jack Swagger, Rob Van Dam, and, of course, Wade Barrett are in the Money in the Bank briefcase match. Of course, the main event is for the WWE World Championship, which was vacated because Daniel Bryan is injured. Daniel Bryan will be on the pre-show giving his first interview about being stripped of uh, the WWE World title. But the participants in the World Title Championship match are Roman Reigns, John Cena, Randy Orton, Sheamus, Cesaro, Alberto Del Rio, Bray Wyatt, and now Kane is in the match. That's it. That's yep. all we know. Just those yep. four matches. I mean, there now, you know what? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think I know why <coughs> WWE don't give us all the matches anymore. Because with the network, you're already getting the pay-per-view. Yeah. And That's right. if you want to get it old school through the cable company, you're going to pay through the nose to get it. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the matches that are going to be on that show are probably going to be shit. That's true. They're probably going to be Adam Rose. They're probably going to be Bo Dallas and a whole bunch of guys that you really don't give a damn whether you see them or not. Big Joe's doing a movie. Mark Henry mm-hmm. might be injured. They didn't say anything about um, um, Rusev against uh, Big e. e. Langston. They only did that once. Yeah. I think they still could be feuding. Maybe. But once you buy the pay-per-view the old-fashioned way, you're stuck. But if yeah. they get it like you're getting it, J.J., then, you know, you Doesn't pay at a cheap yeah, price, yeah. so it really don't matter if you get garbage matches. That's right. Absolutely. Great point, Dominic. And, uh, you know, even if we don't review it, uh, even if we review it, uh, you could come back, you could come uh, join us because uh, the essence won't be the whole show. It'll yeah. It'll be yeah. Uh, a little bit of it, but uh, mostly not. But uh, for the fans that do want to hear it, uh, JJ will review it and myself uh, next week at this time. And uh, thank you, uh, JJ. And Thanks, thank you, Dominic. Ah, it's glad to be a part of it. JJ, I'll see you next week. All right, King, man. See you next week, bro. Okay, you'll be good on the hotline. Yeah, will do. Good night, everybody. Oh. Good night.